This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I would never eat a plate that looked like this. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to do that to myself. Oh my God. I deserve better than that. That's low vibration. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Janae Desmond-Harris, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And yes, that is the voice of none other than Janae Desmond-Harris, Slate's own dear Prudence. Thank you for joining me, Janae. Thank you for having me on. What took so long? Just kidding. Oh. Just kidding. (laughs) Wow. We're just launching immediately into it. I've been waiting for my opportunity. (laughs) Wow. I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what took so long. I always try to advise people to have these tough conversations about things they need to say, (laughs) and I find it hard, so I'm working on it in my life. So that was me having the hard conversation with you. (laughs) I mean, it felt less like a hard conversation and more like an accusation, but we can talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) So as I said, Janae is Slate's own Dear Prudence. She was also previously a senior staff editor at the New York Times, where she is now a contributing opinion writer. Basically, she's a bad bitch. Um, She was also my one-time editor, which was an incredible experience. For me too. (laughs) Uh, So I have a few questions that I started asking all of our guest hosts. And so I feel like since you work in the realm of advice, there's really no one better to ask this question of then do you think Jesus was canonically hot? This is really hard because, as I'm sure others have pointed out, he looks different in every picture. Yes, right? yes. So growing up in a non-religious but very progressive and open-minded household, my mm-hmm. mom always told me Jesus was a really, really nice guy um, <laughs> who people really, really liked, and he treated mm-hmm. others really well. And I think that's one avenue to hotness, you know, Especially when you combine it with some of the sort of less scrawny and emaciated photos of him. (laughs) So yeah, I'll give it to him. Also, there's a lid for every pot. So yes, I'll be generous. I feel like we're kind of in agreement, which is I think that if you were to see Jesus walking down the street towards you, I don't think you would necessarily like do a little turn back. I don't think you'd go in for a second glance. But I think that he had hot energy, which is what I'm getting you saying in terms of he's a very nice guy, but not Mm -hmm. like nice guy TM. No, the kind that comes from, like, confidence and genuinely exactly. caring about people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not having mm-hmm. anything to prove. I mean, he, exactly. had, he had a lot to prove, I, but you I know mean... what I mean. <laughs> Some might say he had the most to prove. But... Some might say. <laughs> and that he perhaps did not prove it to the standards of some people. Pontius Pilate, <laughs> to be exact. <laughs> also, lovely curly hair. Yes. Okay, I'm glad we're in agreement. I just feel like Jesus was maybe the first person to give advice on a large scale. So in some ways, some might say that your work is Christ-like. I'll take it. (laughs) Great, great. I'll I'll accept that. (laughs) My next question is, um, what is your very first internet memory? I think it was probably about between 91 and 93. 
I was in mm-hmm. middle school, and my friend Catherine Steiner's mom was what we used to call a techie. Like, she worked in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley, and we mm-hmm. lived in Marin County, California, and they always had, like, all the newest technology. Mm-hmm. So she had AOL, and we would go into the AOL chat rooms and talk to strangers. Yes. Um, so yes. definitely, like, the kind of thing that led to young women, like, meeting older men and getting kidnapped. Of course. Except mm-hmm. we were just not even that good at getting into trouble. So I think we just had like <laughs> light PG conversations and still felt excited and scandalized about it. Um, but my first like really, I guess the first time I really began to love the internet was probably when I went to college. Um, mm. So I started in 99. And I remember that being the year that everyone had an email address. Um, mm. So the way I kept in touch with my high school friends was through these long, detailed emails about every day of our lives. That's what I thought email was going to be forever. Um, (laughs) We really treated it like sending a letter in the mail, but just every day. I really enjoyed that. Well, I'm very excited you're here today because, unfortunately, while I do want to question you about your early internet experience and about, like, Black Planet, which I love hearing about, we are actually here to talk about the world of online advice, which you are an expert in. Mm-hmm. So, after a short break, I will be back with Janae to talk all about what it's like to be Dear Prudence, what it is like to hear everyone's problems. <laughs> <laughs> And the kind of, you guessed it, parasocial relationships that audiences form with advice columnists. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back with Janae Desmond-Harris. Dear Prudy, before we get into your stint, your career as Dear Prudence, what is your, before you started, you know, giving advice, what was the most memorable advice you had ever seen given in a column? Okay, it's from 2014. Wow. Um, it was by Cheryl Strayed. I probably Ooh. think about this advice at least once a month. Okay, so this came from um, part of Cheryl's Dear Sugar advice column, Mm -hmm. and it was one piece of her advice to a 20-something who was just kind of trying to figure out life. That is very relatable content as a 20-something who is Mm -hmm. trying to figure out her life. Um, I'm going to read a bit of this column. One Christmas at the very beginning of your 20s, when your mother gives you a warm coat that she saved for months to buy... Don't look at her skeptically after she tells you she thought the coat was perfect for you. 
Don't hold it up and say it's longer than you like your coats to be and too puffy and possibly even too warm. Your mother will be dead by spring. That coat will be the last gift she gave you. You regret the small thing you didn't say for the rest of your life. Oh, my God. I mean, you're never going to forget that now. Um, I'm never going to forget that now. But it rings so true. There is this point in your 20s where you leave behind the kind of adversarial relationship you mm -hmm. have with your parents as a teenager. Hopefully you do. I'm trying. (laughs) Yeah. And even as I think as you get older, um, I'm 41. And... I and people my age, I notice we still turn into these like surly, disagreeable teenagers <laughs> with our parents. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's understandable because it happens to everyone. But I don't want to be that way. Um, yeah. And I hate that I have to remind myself um, these people aren't going to be here forever to get over sort of the petty reactions. But This advice really helped me frame uh, the way I interact with my parents. Well, I'm going to text my mom after this. See? (laughs) You're going to think about this all the time now. Uh, I feel like advice columns are one of the kind of few pieces of media that have really stood the test of time. Like, the first one appeared around, like, the 1600s. And now they're everywhere. Obviously, we have Dear Prudy. There's Dear Sugar. People are doing advice columns through TikTok and through Instagram. It's one of those things that hasn't really changed much, Mm -hmm. even with the kind of seismic shift that the Internet presented. Why do you think that is? I think that people are drawn to advice, particularly the question part of advice, um, in the same way that we're drawn to true crime. Meaning there's something strangely satisfying about consuming other people's misfortune. And Mm. I don't think we're proud of that, but the truth is a lot of people are really into it. Similar to reality TV, right? Um, Mm -hmm. The guilty pleasure of just sort of checking out of your own life by reading Mm. about someone else's tragedy, big or small, or their drama, big or small, I think is somehow soothing to us. Um, so I think it takes us out of ourselves and into other people's lives, which can just be the relief that you sometimes need on a daily basis. Um, another reason I think it's so popular is that everyone gets to have an opinion. So in this way, it's very much like watching the red carpet before an award show, right? Or the, mm. the Met Gala. Yeah. Everyone can say that dress is basic. That dress is beautiful. That's Mm -hmm. a horrible look on her. And everyone is equally entitled to weigh in. So Mm -hmm. I think there's something satisfying about the fact that I might be the one doing it as a professional, but everyone else is just as entitled to their opinion about human interaction and all the struggles that someone might be having day to day. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you really hit two topics that I love talking about, which is true crime and Mm -hmm. reality television, (laughs) which are both just this kind of voyeuristic Mm -hmm. enterprise in and of itself do you find that now that you do this professionally that your immediate mode when you see something is the kind of like advice columnist mode or is it like actually I don't want to give advice to this person or you'll see a tweet where you're like you're fucking up but I'm not gonna comment (laughs) on it (laughs) if I'm honest I've always been this way um (laughs) I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> I really have. I think I think my friends would back that up. Um, I and my mom is like this too. She. I recently had a chat with my mom about how I recently made her a grandmother, 
Mm-hmm. And she was saying how the hardest part about being a grandmother is keeping your opinion to yourself. Oh. And she she then said, because, you know, I'm an advice giver. And I realized my mom is an advice giver. She has yeah. something to say about how everyone is doing everything in their life. And I'm exactly the same way. Um, <laughs> as I've matured, I've tried to become more sensitive about keeping that to myself. I really do not give advice unless asked. That's a hard rule for me. But I have opinions. I have it. <laughs> if you ask, I have it about anything. Um, so I definitely am one of the people in the friend group who wants to hear about the nuances of the date you went on and will compose the text Ooh. for you to follow up um, or tell you how to think about something to feel better. That's absolutely always been the way I am. Jenny, this is really good to know. I'm going to start sending you all of my text messages so Please that you do. can proofread them. Oh, Please I do. will. Because my friends are sick of me. <laughs> I actually have talked about starting a side business, just writing difficult emails and texts for people. Uh, wow. Okay, good to know. I will be hitting you up after this show. Do you think that the internet has changed the way we give or receive advice? Definitely, because... Anyone can ask for advice, and anyone can give advice. So it's totally democratized it. Um, You don't have to get a job at Slate to go onto Reddit relationships and just be in the comments sharing your point of view, um, or giving unsolicited advice. One of my least favorite things about Twitter is... We're about to... You have to you have to think every time you tweet something, is this going to inspire people to give me advice I didn't ask for? Um, But I think that speaks to the fact that people love to give advice, right? They Mm -hmm. love, love, love it. And there's so many opportunities to do it now, whether it's in one of the 900 IVF and pregnancy and mom Facebook groups I'm in, Mm -hmm. um, or these many, many other places on the internet, like Reddit, um, Twitter, TikTok, which I have to admit I'm not on, only because I know I would like it too much and I cannot... I have an internet addictive personality and I can't get addicted to anything else. Um, So yeah, everyone, everyone is a letter writer if they want to be, and everyone is an advice columnist if they want to be. Also, when it comes to people like me who are professionally giving advice, nothing I say um, isn't somewhat influenced by something I've absorbed from the internet. So whether that's just about trends I've seen in these various places where people talk about their lives or actual advice I've seen in the comments, maybe on Reddit, um, or just things I've noticed about the way people who have experiences that are different from mine talk about their gripes, their pet peeves, um, what they want out of life, how they want to be treated. I think that's all in my head and it's all informing the advice I give. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. I kind of want to go back to something you were saying about unsolicited advice, mm-hmm. which is so annoying mm-hmm. and so ever-present, especially I feel like on Twitter, though I could imagine that parenting Facebook groups are very similar. Mm-hmm. But there's this dynamic, and I feel like it happens a lot to black women and women specifically, where you will just post something. Recently I posted... As a joke, I know the pandemic's over because I've had two non-COVID illnesses over the past month. Mm -hmm. And someone responded like, make sure you're not just doing at-home tests because those can have false negatives. And I was like, ma'am, 
we have been in a pandemic for two years. I know. I am aware of the false negatives. Why do you feel the need to tell me this? What do you think it is about the internet that makes people just... I feel like even in situations where your friend was complaining about something or you just overheard a conversation you would know not to jump in. And right. yet people don't have that filter online and it's so annoying. I just want to complain. Whoever figures that out should get the Nobel Prize. Because it's <laughs> Janae, I want you to figure it out. <laughs> and I feel I feel badly saying this because I have the privilege of giving advice. Everyone wants yeah. to be heard and be listened to and feel useful. So maybe that's what it comes down to mm-hmm. is that people, okay, let's do a generous read of it, right? People want to be helpful People want to connect with others. People want to share the knowledge they have. Um, that said, it is incredibly, incredibly annoying. Also, a lot of people are really bad at giving advice. So if it's going mm-hmm. to be unsolicited, at least make it helpful. If I were to go onto Twitter right now and say, hey, guys, does anyone know where I could get a great hamburger in San Diego? I would have 50 replies saying, well, it's actually in Texas, but go here or actually get a taco or you shouldn't be eating like that. You should be vegan. Mm -hmm. People don't often give advice that's helpful. And I like to think that if there's anything that um, justifies Slate paying me instead of just (laughs) having some random person from the Internet give advice to people every week, it's that I try to really listen and not just react but actually answer like the very specific question they're asking and give a piece of advice that they might actually be willing to use, Mm. Um, which is tough. You know, it's easy to say, get divorced, go to therapy, confront this person, cut them out of your life. And sometimes that is it. But there's a lot of times when I feel I need to say, I think you should do this. And I know that's not realistic. So how about you do this smaller, um, this smaller, easier thing instead? Wow. Measured and nuanced advice here on the internet. Never thought it could happen. Um, I'm having an absolute ball of a time, but we need to take a quick short break. Uh, When we come back, we'll be talking about all the people that Janae emails and who email her. And we will also be talking about one superstar fan of Janae. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. and We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, y'all. Welcome to ICYMI. If you're a new listener, then thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited you're here. In case you missed it, that's the name of the show. And that's also a joke we made every single week because our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You are currently listening to Saturday's episode. On Wednesday, we talk to the hosts of Invisibilia about their show's relationship to the internet. It was a really great conversation. You don't want to miss it. And we're back with Janae. 
Um, we talk a lot about wife guys on this show, most recently <laughs> in relation to the Try Guys, which I don't know if that's something you kept up with. Nope. But I, I've been familiar <laughs> with enough of it to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be the, the dumbest <laughs> summary. No, wait, actually, please tell me what you think the Try Guys. <laughs> so, okay. The Try Guys, this is like me getting called on in class and I've done the reading. The Try <laughs> Guys are this. a group of people who are on, let's say, TikTok or YouTube. They do uh-huh. many, like, stunts and funny things, and one of them mm-hmm. was found out to be cheating okay, on yeah. his wife, and yeah. we don't like him anymore. No, that's pretty accurate. And he, he was a wife guy. <laughs> and the narrative is probably, that just goes to show that wife guys are full of shit. Honestly, you could have hosted our episode about okay. it. That's pretty much what I'm happened. proud of myself. <laughs> I've got something for you later that I still don't, I truly don't understand, so. Oh, I'm like that so excited. Okay. Well, yeah, usually when we talk about WAF guys on the show, it is not really that, um, not that glowing. But I do have a favorite wife guy, and it is none other than your <laughs> husband and fellow Slate employee, Joel Anderson. I love him. I love Aww. both of you together. And I'm not the only one. Melanie Linsky recently tweeted, power couple. I didn't know, and this makes me so happy, even though you're strangers to me. I hope that isn't weird. Was it weird? Did you love it? How did it feel to see that? Um, so obviously I had absolutely no idea that she followed me or knew who I was or knew mm-hmm. who I was married to. So that's truly delightful, right? Um, like, it's delightful to be married to someone who you think is great and hilarious, who you also work mm-hmm. with, who also has the exact same relationship to the internet that you have. Um, and to have people, whether they're celebrities or not, be like, I love you guys. I love you as a couple. Yeah. It just, it feels good in the same way, you know, someone giving a toast at your wedding feels good. It's good for the mm-hmm. ego. It makes you warm <laughs> and fuzzy. Um, at the same time, it's horrifying because something <laughs> like that makes me it reminds me of the reach I don't have a ton of Twitter followers but it reminds Mm -hmm. me that anything I tweet could potentially reach someone who's like I don't know important or special or famous um Mm -hmm. and in the process reaches a lot of other people and the reality is and this is just very hard to sit with for every response you get that's I love you love you guys I think you're great somebody is taking a screen grab and putting it in their group chat with the eye rolling emoji. That's just life. Um, And that's very um, chilling to think about. (laughs) So it was like a really cool moment. And at the same time, it was a horrifying moment. I completely understand. You said that you and Joel have the same relationship to the internet. How would you describe that relationship? I think we both really like to laugh. And one thing I'm proud of is that we've both been able to be on the internet a lot and enjoyed it and not fallen victim to the parts of it that make people really miserable. Mm. So whether that's like comparing yourself to others on Instagram or going back and forth, fighting with people on Twitter. Now he used to do that and I've like had to encourage him to stop. Um, <laughs> I was like, um, I'm <laughs> I love them to be clear, but like once in a while. But I say, if you do go back, you say one thing and let it live. Don't go back and forth because you really begin to look unhinged. That is true. So most of the time, like we're not people who are like, oh, Twitter is such a cesspool. I'm so unhappy. I can't believe I'm on this hell site. It's just ruining Mm -hmm. my life. Um, Like we found a way to just enjoy it and not fall into that. 
and just get a lot of material to talk about. Um, I think we both get, you know, lightly educated by Twitter and also Mm -hmm. just get a lot of like good gossip fodder from it. I mean, that's what Twitter's for. Yeah. I'm going to have you and Joel on one day to talk about how to have a healthy relationship with Twitter because you were the only person who come on this show and said that they have a healthy relationship with that site. Yeah, I think we were on our honeymoon and we were both on social media and people were like, get off the internet, you're on your honeymoon. We were like, but it's enjoyable. I love that for you. <laughs> so I feel like as an advice columnist, people both feel... Um, emboldened to comment on your advice but also start to feel like they know you and I'm curious as to how you feel about that about the kind of familiarity that comes with being I mean kind of a public figure actually the only way I experience the familiarity because I don't read the comments again I'm protecting my mental health um smart is again by looking at the spreadsheet that has all the questions in it that also has the complaints Um, And it's just funny to me, like I said, how deeply, deeply disappointed people are, specifically when they usually agree with me, and then one time they don't agree with me. Um, People feel betrayed. They do. It's one thing when the people who are just like, you're a horrible, lefty, mean person, or the response will be like, who made you queen of the world? I'm like, well... (laughs) Sweet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but the really fascinating vitriol comes from people who are like, I always agree with you, and I was so disappointed. There was one recent question that I never would have called it that this would set people off. Um, a woman said her boyfriend was stealing small items from the grocery store, like mm-hmm. an avocado or a loaf oh, of bread. Okay. He just would yeah. not scan it at self-checkout, and he would yeah. just bag it. And I kind of said, like, this isn't this isn't good. It doesn't reflect really well on him, but I can't get too worked up to hate this man. I just, I don't yeah. have it in me. And people were like, what do you mean? He's raising prices for all of us. He's that ruining the world. That is not how that works. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe it is. I don't know. And I don't really care. Um, it's not. <laughs> but there was something about how how deeply disappointed people were that mm. they usually disagreed with me and I got that quote-unquote wrong um, that really made me realize how invested they were in, like, our relationship as people who normally thought the same way. So when that yeah. went off track, it was really unsettling to a lot of readers. Yeah, it is really interesting. I do feel like we get the most kind of, like, emotional letters when people are like, I love this show, but mm-hmm. I'm really disappointed in your take on this. And... It is really surprising every single time where it's like, do you expect to agree with me on everything? Like, right. I don't agree with anyone I know on everything. Right. And also, if I'm really honest, um, my response to a letter might differ depending on what kind of mood I'm in, mm. you know, what time of day it is, how, t- how <laughs> I had my coffee yet. Yeah. Um, I might disagree yeah. with myself some days. Oh, listen sometimes I wake up and I'm like the decision you made last night was stupid (laughs) exactly so like don't take it I don't think anyone should take it too personally if we're not aligned on any given column well let's get a little bit spicy do you have any questions for me any internet questions any internet advice questions I've always wanted to be involved (laughs) in dear prudence (laughs) sure so this is one I've already answered and I don't know if you've read it yet 
Okay, so I haven't. So I'm going to read it right now. And I'm so excited to see if our answers are going to be completely different. Dear Prudence, I have a younger sister-in-law who runs a Facebook blog with a large following, over 10,000, about her parenting lifestyle. Think along the lines of unschooler, home birth, anti-vaccine. Even though I don't agree with some of her choices, I've been a good aunt to her five children, soon to be six. Recently, she's had a penchant for posting on her blog about mistakes her extended family has made regarding her lifestyle choices. And just the other day, I saw her referencing myself and my family in one of her posts. It was regarding something that never happened. Breastfeeding photos that she had posted a decade ago that she said we had our teenager son block on his Facebook account. We had our 13-year-old son shut down his Facebook account 10 years ago because he was just too young, not because of his unbreastfeeding photos. <laughs> because we're not super close and that happened a long time ago, I feel like it would be petty to talk to her about all this. On the other hand, I've been a breastfeeding advocate for decades and have passed that message on to my three sons. I've never, ever shamed any woman for breastfeeding in any way, so it feels hurtful to see her post and have multiple strangers judge me on something that never happened. I'm conflicted about whether I should confront her or let it go. <sighs> okay, this is where I understand the the struggle of... <laughs> Not just immediately reacting because my immediate response is call her immediately and tell her what the fuck is happening. Honestly, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. So I had a very short response to this one. I said, confront her, exclamation point. She's so focused on creating content that she's forgetting she has real life relatives, not just followers. She needs a reminder. So to me, this was, I mean, the breastfeeding details were interesting, but the most important part to me was that this woman has lost touch with reality. She thinks yes. she's, li- she's made up a fake social media life, which is fine. We all do that to some extent, but mm-hmm. it's not okay when you, you drag your relatives into it. So she truly needs to be reminded to come back to earth um, yes. and that what she's posting actually affects people she knows in real life. Yeah, and the thing is, on Facebook, you can see who people are related to. Right. If have that little family thing. I haven't been Such on Facebook a good in a point. while. So people, her followers, who I will say that um, quote-unquote health advocates like those have really engaged followers. So it's really not that out of line to think that one of them might find out who she's posting about and go and harass her. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't just lie about your family and open them up to shit like that. Absolutely. People can be a detective and find out anything. All right. So now that I've gotten to play Prudy for a while, um, do you have any internet specific questions, any trends you want to explain? I love doing this. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's like Prudy, but not. Okay. I do have one. First, I'm going to ask like a more personal internet question. Sure. What emoji should a 41 year old use (laughs) to show that you're laughing or something is funny? Are you are you basing this off of the Gen Z or canceling the crying laughing emoji? <laughs> yeah, because I mean I like the crying laughing one, but then mm-hmm. I've seen people like act as if using that is the same as you know signing your name on a text message like your grandmother would. <laughs> so I know that what like the youth might use would be like the skull, like I'm yeah the dead. skull emoji. Mm-hmm. So should I be using that or should I just own my age and use the crying laughing one? I think that 
we will all age out of specific things. Like, we mm-hmm. are all constantly in some way indicating our age with the way we use the internet. And so I would say that if you don't care that much, just use the crying laughing emoji. Like, I still use it sometimes. I do use the skull emoji. The straight one or the diagonal one? Of? You know how the crying laughing, it can be, like, regular. It can be, like, this. Oh, oh. <laughs> I use the straight one. Okay. I will say the tilted one does give does give a bit. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think the I will yeah, the straight one's better. I use the one that's like with the actual tears coming with out of my eyes. The straight line tears. Yes. Mhm. Yes. Okay. That is the one I tend to use. Okay, I will I'll go say with that. that. Yeah. But okay. also I use like in an, an LMAO, a ha 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 if mm-hmm. I'm actually laughing really hard. Me too. Um LOL is just punctuation at this point. Like it's okay. a period. <laughs> it's to make sure people know I'm not mad at them. Okay. <laughs> right. I definitely use it that way too. Um yeah. Okay, great to know. Thank you for the free advice. And Go forth and prosper. The, the latest internet thing that I know is out there that I haven't had the chance to look into is the low vibration plate. I know it's funny. I just haven't had a chance <laughs> to like figure out why. Okay, so <laughs> I'm probably going to get some details wrong because I haven't looked into this in the depth that I would to prepare an episode about it. But what happened is that... There's this woman who is, I believe, a one of those like femininity coaches, basically. Have you have you seen this trend? No, and I think like this is another layer that I need explained. Because okay. I don't know what one of those femininity coaches is <laughs> at all. So there's this thing that I feel like it's mostly concentrated in the black community mm-hmm. where black women are like stepping into their quote unquote divine femininity. It's kind of this pushback to, like, having to do it all. Like, Mm -hmm. black women are superheroes. But it also just doubles down on some really weird, like, gender roles. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, I think that the woman who referenced the low vibrational plate was one of these women. But Mm -hmm. vibrations and energy is one of those things that divine feminine people are really into. They're like, your energy can't be too masculine. Like, you have to make sure you're, like, vibrating at the right frequencies or whatever. And so, before we go any further, let's listen to a bit of that video. But she's I would coach. never eat a plate that looked like this. You mm. pay me a million dollars to do that to myself. Mm. Oh my God. I deserve better than that. That's mm. low vibration. And you took it. I would have been like, I'm playing like that. I'll tell you what I want. You'll tell me what I want. So, my thought process is if you put it on my plate, but I don't have to eat it, I got the discipline. I won't even look at it and look, that make you look bad. I'm a queen. Queen's plate from like. This woman. And her friends were at a barbecue and the coach had this plate that had like seafood on it. Like it was like a a little neat plate. And then her friend had like a burger and some ribs. It was like one of the sloppier plates, but it also looked fine. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) this woman was like, that's a low vibrational plate. (laughs) Like that. Look at what that plate gives. Do people look at that plate and think that you're a queen? No. Look at my plate. I'm giving high vibrational (laughs) energy. And it was wild because this woman was just getting sitting there, mm-hmm. getting like lambasted by someone who's her friend and being like, she's always trying to put me onto the good shit. Like, this is what a true friend is. And everyone in the comments was just like, your homegirl is just dragging you. For what reason? What is a low vibrational plate? And question, was the femininity influencer like, was she already famous or did she get famous because she was just a person who was talking about her friend's food? I she got more famous because okay. of the food, but I do think that she had an audience beforehand. Okay. 
So that's that's the Sparks Note version of that okay. <laughs> story. Okay, I get the jokes more now. Because I know, I asked because I know people are going to be talking about it all through Thanksgiving. Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. It's also one of those, like, it very much became like a black Twitter thing. So mm-hmm. I was just, I love it. Uh, but I was like, why are we talking about plates? Yeah. Cookouts. <laughs> Okay. So that is a low vibrational plate. Thank you for your um, I service. I will send you some memes. <laughs> I will see if Vox wrote a what is a low vibrational plate <laughs> explain. I'll make you read it, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for asking that question. I'm really glad I got to explain that. And thank you so much for coming on the show, Janae. Thank you for finally having me. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. That is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss some advice giving. If you want me to give you some advice, feel free to send that to us. I can't promise it's going to be good. Please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions and your requests for advice. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or not. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs>